0: Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing, where we bring on guests and we talk about this beautiful city we call Long Beach. And now, here's your host, motivational coach, Paul Fortune. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. Be sure to subscribe to your uh, best provider, wherever you're listening to, whether it be Podbeam, whether it be Spot- Spotify, or iHeartRadio, or any way you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and check out our Facebook group for upcoming content. We have a great show for you today. We have professional coach Eric Kelly joining us today. Erica. How are you today?
1: I am doing fantastic, Paul. Thank you for having me here.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So let's start here. What is your earliest connection with this great city of Long Beach?
1: Long Beach, my home. I moved to Long Beach in the early 90s, right after. um, I'm a veteran, and I remember uh, being in Somalia. Um, So right after my deployment to Somalia, I remember traveling back to San Francisco. That's where I was dropped off. And I remember at the time calling my husband and saying, where do we live? Because during the deployment, he moved to Long Beach. Or moved us to Long Beach. So here I am on the phone saying, where do we live? And he gives me this beautiful address in Long Beach. And I haven't moved since then.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. Well, what about the city that you love that you didn't want to move out of it?
1: I think it's their um, uh, the city's diversity, uh, the the energy of of the city, uh, for me anyway, it, it gives me... The, the this constant foundation that i need to feel comfortable and if i can even use the word safe um, i feel safe in the city of long beach
0: yeah I, I i feel the same way i feel that same vibe the different cultures coming together together in a melting pot which makes for great, great food. I mean, there's all kinds of great food in the city because of the different cultures coming in and the different uh, places you can go uh, for entertainment, for studying. It, it, I feel you with that. There's so much to do, and it's all because of the people coming from all over, not just the United States, but all over the world into, into Long Beach and making it such a great melting pot that we kind of come in together on. So, yeah, I agree with you. Now, let's go back because you have a uh, you have an amazing story growing up. Would you mind, Erica sharing that story with us because it's it's it was very inspirational when I first heard it, and I, I want to hear it again.
1: It's interesting that you know we we talk about the inclusion and also the differences of culture in this beautiful city. My story is simple, unique because it's mine. But at the same time, it reflects the story of so many, not just for California, but just so many immigrants that come to the, to the United States. I was born in Guatemala. And I think I share this with you. At the age of five, my mother decided that she was going to leave. And when she did that, when she when she walked away. From from us, myself and my two brothers. What she did is she locked the door from the outside. And when she locked the door from the outside, we were trapped. I was five, my brothers four and three. And um, yeah, we, we survived uh, with very little water, no food at all. And we were trapped in that room until my grandmother rescued us for seven days. We were there for seven days. And I'm, you know, now that I speak, now that I have this amazing background with law enforcement and with uh, the military, sometimes I, I share this: that that little five-year-old in that room standing in the middle of that shack, when all those adults came to rescue us. Um, I was super excited and what I was hoping was for my grandmother to come and pick me up and hug me for the adults to protect me and and just give me that safety that I'm always looking for. But what happened was that those adults walked in and what I saw was horror in their eyes. And I looked around the room and I'm like, well, what are they looking at? And then I took all that information as a little kid. I took all that information and I put it all inside me, not as the room is bad, but as I did something wrong. And I have disappointed all of the people that are entering the room. And I share that with you because how did I come to the United States? Well, that mom that left us, came back when I was 12. So my memory faded on who she was. But nonetheless, when she came back, she made the decision of bringing the three of us to the United States. And uh, we walked, Paul. And for whoever's in the audience, we we walked from uh, Guatemala all the way through Mexico to the border where At the border i was able to meet my my stepdad who was not happy to learn that he had or his wife had three children that he was not aware of so it's 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 a journey of surprises for me uh surprises of struggle surprises of being persistent And once in the, once in the United States, I want to say that things got better, but they didn't, um, they really didn't. I was in a very toxic environment with my mother and my stepdad. And because of that, um, I saw myself homeless at the age of 16.
0: Where, where in the United States were you at this point?
1: Yeah, so when, um, thank you for asking, when we crossed the border, it was through the California border. And my mom took the three of us to live in Compton in Lingwood area. I, okay. I don't remember, Southern but California. I knew it was Compton okay. and it was Lingwood, right?
0: Yeah, um, so, so not that far from Long Beach.
1: No, late 70s, late uh-huh. 70s. Uh, but that neighborhood, oh my goodness, super violent. Yeah, I know that things have changed now, but when I was there, um, not the best place. So we moved to Las Vegas or my mom moved the family to Las Vegas. So that's where I went. I finished um, middle school, high school, graduated from UNLV, and that's where I joined the Air Force. But yeah, she had to move us from that environment. But I saw myself at 16, uh, homeless in the streets of Las Vegas, And not, Paul, not until I was maybe 22 did I not uh, join the Air Force. And that was the beginning of pivoting or shifting my life to you and I now being in the same room.
0: Oh, I got I got so many questions on this, so many questions for you. First off, uh, take me back to when you were five years old, Mm trapped in that room. Yeah. What was do you remember what your thoughts were with your with your brothers at that point in time? You must have been so scared.
1: Oh my goodness. I remember that in one minute, I was five years old, not caring about shelter, food, or safety. Mm. And in the next second, the minute that I realized that we were trapped, the minute I realized that there was no adults, no mom, and that the door, I couldn't open it, is the minute that I realized, I mean, it's so weird for me to say it, but I wasn't five anymore. I really took something in me said, you're the oldest, you need to take care of your brothers, you need to get out. And at one point in those those seven days, Uh, we I heard noise outside and I really thought it was my grandmother coming in to open the door and I remember pounding the little walls I'm sure that if I see this shack now I could push it right but not as a Mm five-year-old so I remember pounding on those walls that were paper thin and and screaming we're here we're here you know and this is the this is the thing where how can a 5 year old feel hopelessness and feel so depleted of energy and i and i say this because i heard noises my whole energy went up like i'm we're going to be rescued and then at the same time that i'm getting excited about being rescued i hear i mean i think i can hear it right now the steps of of that person whoever it was walking away from the shack so when i say how does a five-year-old feels helpless or hopeless i did at that moment i really did and i i'm looking at my two brothers um and one is two and a half years old so he's a baby Uh, my other one is four ish and um and i I literally thought, okay, then this is it. This is where this is where it ends. How does a five-year-old knows that this is where it ends? But um, we survived for two more days and um, never gave up. I, I, I would pinch my little brother so he would cry okay. and I would shake the brother that follows me, his name is Byron, just so we could um, stay awake And, um, in the seventh day is when my grandmother came with help.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Just a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. Such strength, such strength that you had at five years old. Like you said, something in you said survival mode at five years old. Like you said, you weren't five anymore. That's right. You were, you were just a person trying to survive because you were the oldest and you knew at that point that you needed to step up. You needed to be a leader. And you learned that, unfortunately, at five years old, mm-hmm. uh, such strength and power that you have inside of you. That's, um, that's amazing, amazing, amazing. Now take me to, you're now 16 years old. You're in Vegas, you're homeless, mm-hmm. but you said that you joined, you said you the air force, right? You said you yeah. joined the air force.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, there, there had been something in you, you know. While you're homeless, you're like, I, I, want better for myself because the Air Force, the Air Force doesn't take everybody, right? I mean, there, there's That's some right, right? You, you, there's some stuff you have to do to get into the Air Force. So, yeah. how does somebody homeless get into the Air Force?
1: Okay, uh, so let me just back up a little bit before, okay. or, or let me share why um, I ended up being homeless. Okay. I started working under the table, but I started working at the age of 13 in Las Vegas. Well, and what
0: were, you, what were you doing? What were you? Doing?
1: I was uh, a maid. I was okay. cleaning rooms, not in the nice hotels of uh, of the strip, but in really. Remember my background. Yeah. Remember that I lived in a. Kind of very toxic, just mm-hmm. not a good environment. Yeah. So that followed us to Vegas. So I was working as a young girl. I was working as a maid in not the best motels. Uh there was a lot of prostitution, a lot of drugs in 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 the environment then that I was working in. But this is what I knew, Paul and whoever's listening to, to your program. I knew that if I learned English and if I went to school, I that was my exit. I knew that I didn't have to stay in that environment. My mother uh, has a second grade education for her culturally or for her own perspectives. Education was not a big deal so working in the motel was the best thing that I could do for the family. So here I am. 15, 16 years old, and I am telling my mom uh, that I want to finish high school because I thought at the time that high school was the ticket uh, to make it in the United States. She did not see the need of me finishing high school. She wanted me to work. And as silly as that sounds, Paul, when I said to my mother, I'll work, but allowed me to go to school too. She said, no, get out. And I know that it's like, what parent would do that? But remember, you know, remember the, the, the background, remember her conditions, second grade, it's uh, for education was something that she could not see in her, in her vision. So here I am trying to go to school. And I know I'm homeless because I want to better myself. So this is what happened. A um, girlfriend from work, uh, you know, she saw me bouncing back and forth. I was still going to work, but I didn't have a place to sleep. And she allowed me to stay in her house, move her kids around, allowed me to stay in her house, allowed me, this is a, this is a friend from work, allowed me to um, go to night school so I could finish my high school. And uh, in the meantime, Paul, I do need to say that um, I met someone that I thought was going to be my savior and my shiny, uh, my shiny armor knight that was going to protect me. And it ended up that at the age of when I see myself homeless, a friend picks me up, I meet this man that um, I think is going to help. But was he
0: around the same age as you, or was he older?
1: He was. I was sixteen. He was thirty-two. Okay. So again, red flag, big time red flag. Yeah. But I don't see those red flags. Mm-hmm. I don't.
0: Yeah.
1: So I entered willingly into again a very toxic, very violent very very violent relationship um, in which the police officer so what drove me to the air force can i share that please do i'm 22 right in this um i marry this gentleman and now i am trapped i finished high school so that's yay and in high school they're like what else are you going to do and i'm like is this something more to do <laughs> right with all my bruises in my body, because now I'm in a very violent relationship. And so people start telling me that the world is bigger and I'm listening, but this is what happens. I'm still being controlled. I'm still being controlled by a man that is uh, uh, giving me permission to eat or not eat. For me to every morning ask, every morning ask, can I eat today? And for him to say yes or no. But you got to put all the pieces together. Why was that normal for me? Well, put all the pieces together. So he didn't have to be home. If he told me in the morning
2: that I I shouldn't eat because I was too fat, too ugly. Then I wouldn't eat. So there I am one time. I, I am being beaten
1: and I hold on to the little clothes I have on and I leave like I open the door and I start running and I end up uh, we lived in an apartment complex I end up in an alleyway and I'm running 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 holding on to the just the little clothes I have on And I see the apartments above in the alleyway, the windows. I see people looking down. I remember people looking down as I'm running. And what stops me is police lights. That stops me. So So I stop. And I see this police officer come out, see me, take his jacket, take his coat off, put it on me. And like a dad almost, he holds on to the jacket in front of me and pulls me in a little bit to him. And he says, Erica, if you, if you don't do something to save your life, we're going to find you dead body in the
2: desert. And I, I, Paul, I got to say, that was a spark. What do you mean if you Don't do something. For
1: some reason, that was the first time that I maybe other people told me, but it was the first time that I really heard it. I had a choice on my own survival. I had a choice on my own conditions. You know, I'm I'm, I'm 20. I'm almost going to be 22 then, 21 years old. And then something starts changing inside of me in which when I see, when I see a commercial about joining the Air Force, I ask permission to that abuser predator. And I say, sir, can I, may I try to do this? And he said, do blank, blank, whatever you want. You're so stupid and dumb if you want to embarrass yourself, go ahead. That was my permission. I went to a recruiter. I passed those tests. The Air Force said yes to me. And that was, again, another shift in my life to find awareness, to find purpose, and to truly um, find out who I was as a person.
0: You ever keep uh, ever talk to that police officer again? Never. never. It was
1: um, uh, I don't know if people your audience you um, believe in angels but that's what I call him. Mm -hmm. I call I call those people that touch my life for one moment. Those angels that just touch me for that moment and um, later, I mean, I'm still talking about him. How significant was this person in my life? But no, um, it was maybe a, a, a five minute, ten minute encounter with someone.
2: You
0: know, you, you never know how you can touch somebody else. You just never know mm-hmm. what, what effect that you have on somebody else. This police officer might not have known the impact that he did. That small gesture about putting his jacket around you and to utter those words to you, he probably didn't know how strong those words were to you. And so amazing, so much strength inside of you. Um, Going back to when you were five years old, that strength, that inner strength that you had that a lot of people don't have you were, you were definitely blessed with that strength. So take me on to you in the Air Force and, and where did you go from
1: there? The Air Force, um, oh my goodness, what can I say about the amazing American Air Force, right? Mm. The best in the world and I was part of it. My last assignment with the Air Force was of me being the Command Chief Master Sergeant for the Air Force Reserve, Um, that title uh, made me one of the top 10 enlisted in the whole Air Force. Mm -hmm. And because the Air Force is divided into three components, the active duty, the reserve, and also the guard, and because I represented the reserve side of the Air Force, it also made me the top three enlisted of the Air Force, which, right? You look at a little kid eating ants and dirt, and now here I am being the top enlisted for a component of one of our military branches. That's pretty awesome. And it drives me back to that first night of basic training and me looking at the chaos you know, control casts that the trainers give you. But staring at that bed and looking at the other ladies in the room, you know, some of them were crying, some of them were in shock. Like, what did we just get into? Um, I wasn't. I was um I was thankful to be in that room, and um I was really. When I say thankful, uh, that was the first night that I wasn't going to be beaten, that I wasn't going to, you know, sometimes say it, but it's true. Um, After the beatings came came rapes. So that was a, a night where I was going to be safe, be safe from my husband that was a true predator. And I made a promise to the Air Force of Me working really, really hard at them, not ever being embarrassed or ashamed of selecting me as one of their own. And I served for 32 and a half years in and out of um, active duty time.
0: Tremendous, 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 tremendous stuff. So while you're in the Air Force, obviously you start gaining some confidence that you didn't have in yourself because of being in that environment. So take me to that point where you said to this, this monster, I'm divorcing you. I never want to see you again.
1: Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know that um, disconnecting from um, toxicity, disconnecting from uh, violence, uh, it's hard and so I wish that I could share with you and your audience that I came back from basic training in my technical school, and I was now this superpower woman, and I just walked in and say, you out, right? Or or me leaving. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. It's not what happened. I came back from school strong. I, confidence. I I earned, right? I earned my uniform. I earned my uniform. And here I am coming from all that beautiful training, all those people that were just feeding me goodness. And I remember being at the McCarran Airport in Las Vegas. And I was tired. I don't know if you've ever seen those doc- bags that the military people, those oh, yeah. green, long duffel bags. Well, I had my duffel bag. I was so tired, waiting for my husband to pick me up from the airport. And I leaned, I leaned on the duffel bag and I closed my eyes. And the next thing I knew is him grabbing the duffel bag from underneath me and pulling it out. So the way that I wake up is me falling forward mm. because he had taken the duffel bag and he now is so Screening. Um, how dare you fall asleep? Do you not, did you not realize you're wasting my time? Here I am to pick you up. And I realized very quickly that I was back. That I was back at this environment. Now um, I knew that a beating was coming because I, I wasn't good enough to stand and, and wait for him. So um, I'm, I'm preparing for the beating, but I'm thinking he's gonna have to fight for this beating. I'm gonna fight for the first time. I'm gonna fight back. And I did, I fought back. And because I fought back, um, he hit me twice, maybe three times as hard as he would normally hit me. So the punishment was severe on my body
2: um, and that taught me a lesson that not to fight back. And I
1: stayed in that relationship um, lying, lying to the world, lying to myself. I stayed in that relationship for maybe another two years before I could say it, with peace. I even told him, I'm leaving tomorrow, peaceful, not not with tears, not with arguments, nothing. I'm leaving you tomorrow. And um, one of the things that he would do to um, make himself feel better, I think, is after every beating, he would buy me a gift. And he's like, don't, you know, I know you're upset. Don't worry about it. Tomorrow, I'll, you know, I'll take you and I'll take you to the mall and buy you a gift. And I thought, wow. So that morning, I got up very peaceful. I asked, I asked, because that's my question, normal question, should I eat today? He told me. And he
2: left for work. I packed my bags and left and never looked back. But it took a time, it took time. I mean, the, the conditioning and the programming that,
1: that we get as children, that we get as adults, uh, doesn't, doesn't go away with knowledge. You know, I, I, I knew. It took a little while, but I learned that I was in a bad situation. I learned that there was um, a better future for me. I knew that I had the knowledge, but the knowledge is not enough. I had, to, I had to really work at the, those that conditioning and programming that, that were trying to keep me in that horrible environment.
0: The Erica now, what would you tell yourself of the Erica then going through that situation?
2: When Erica then was going through those situations Um, What
1: kept my dignity intact, even though my body was getting beaten, um, insults, what kept my dignity intact is that I started telling myself that I had value and I had worth and that the situation was temporary. So I knew, just like I knew in that room that we would get out. I knew that the situation with that specific person was temporary. So what would I tell Erica today then? Because she already had that inside of her, you know, and she already had that that strength of, you can beat my body, but you're not beating me here. I would um, tell Erica in her 20s, in a bad, bad
2: situation, to take risk sooner. I, I allowed a little bit of fear to
1: get in my way. What will people say about me? oh my gosh, the Air Force is going to think that I'm weak. I am not the leader that they they think they're building. So I allowed the, the, the people, the different environments that I wanted to be accepted in, I allowed the, the fear of I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's the fear of if, if, if you really know who I am, you wouldn't talk to me. If you really knew um, what I'm feeling, you would ask me to leave the room. And I think that those things uh, keep not just me, but some of us stuck. So I would tell my, my old self, um, it's
2: okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share your story. It's okay to ask for help.
0: That totally makes sense. And that's powerful words. Vulnerability is definitely a strength, not a weakness. Mm -hmm. So let's continue on with your story. So so you're in the Air Force,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, you get out of this horrible relationship, you leave. What's the next steps for Erica?
1: The next step is that um, I do meet uh, someone else um, in the Air Force. And um, I, I think, again, again I don't have the skills. I don't have the skills to pick. Okay. So I think that this person now, because their their personalities are so opposite, so opposite. I think, okay, this is what goodness is. And um, so he's in the Air Force. I I am now serving in the reserve side of the Air Force, going to UNOV to get my degree in criminal justice because now I want to um, be law enforcement. And, you know, thinking about it, could it be because of that police officer? I don't know. Yeah. But now I want to be in law enforcement and I want to be a special agent for one of the three-letter uh, agencies in the government. And um, so I meet... I meet this um, awesome man and he is the one that moves me from the state of Nevada back to the state of California because now he needs a school. I am following him and he then, as he's finishing his school, I get deployed to Somalia so when he finishes school is when he moves us to Long Beach Mm -hmm. and that's how that so that's how that phone call takes place of me coming back from a war zone and um, not being completely right in my head but asking where do we live and then being able to uh, drive to Long Beach
0: Now, did you get uh, counseling for all this that you were going on in the war zone to to help you cope with all this? Because I'm sure going from a war zone back to civilian life is not an easy transition. I mean, everything's probably, you know, life. Oh, I know everything's life or death over there. And now you're uh, 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 back in civilian life where it's a little bit more mundane and and different. So it's probably hard to Get your, you get your brain back into civilian mode, correct?
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: I, I wish I could tell you that I did, but I didn't. Okay. Um, in those days, when, um, when you were um, a reservist, you came back from, and this happened to me, you came back from your deployment, you call your unit and you say, I'm back. And they go, awesome, see you next month. So here I am. Uh, in Mogadishu. And 48 hours later, I am in San Francisco. And, and my unit is saying, welcome back in the dark, you know, really over the phone. uh, It was, you know, I came at night and there was no one there. So here I am. And um, they they say, welcome back. Um, See you next month. So, uh, no, I am, um, and I have been getting help um, through the VA now, but it took many, many years, many, many years for, um, for reservists to get help transitioning um, or preparing yourself for a deployment and then, and then getting help after a deployment. Uh, the program is now uh, it's called Yellow Ribbon. If anybody has heard of Yellow Ribbon, Yellow Ribbon is something that, uh, you know, sometimes we criticize Congress, but the Yellow Ribbon program is something that Congress asked the military to have. No one went to Congress and said, we need this. Congress saw the need and they're the ones that stepped forward to give that to the research side of the military.
0: So while going through this, you're starting to study criminal justice. Are you at Lamy State? Where are you at at this point? No,
1: no. Um, by then, I have. Um, by then, I have already graduated from UNLV in Las Vegas. Okay. I have a criminal justice degree, and when I get back from Somalia, um, I start looking. I start looking for a job. I need a job now, and I ended up becoming what uh, at that time was an immigration inspector. It was just a step forward. I, I applied for LAPD and I applied to become a federal um, inspector at LAX and um, the federal side called me first. So I went with the, the first offer. Uh, n- no regrets because that opened the door for me after a year and a half of asking people, what's the purpose of your trip? right, at the airport, um, for me to become a special agent, which allowed me then to work with a lot of amazing uh, people, but um, a lot of task forces with a lot of local and federal agencies as well.
0: Mm. So did you start forming a family in Long Beach then?
1: I, I did, um, you know, with my husband, uh, we had um, a son, so I can say his name is Paul, my son. Uh, so just like you, yeah, right I, on. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, Paul was born in Long Beach, and uh, yeah, so he's he's my foundation to this beautiful city.
0: So you're you're in special you're you're special agent. Uh, you're with you. your son Paul in Long Beach. Um, where do you go from there?
2: Well. Um, I
1: served again. It's, it's interesting that we're talking, uh, I served as a special agent for 27 years, 27 years. I retired. I just retired. I mean, I'm saying just, but I guess it's a little 2021. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's just, that's just, that was last year. Just, just, yeah.
1: I just retired 2021, um, from a, uh, an amazing, uh, law enforcement career that, again, allowed me to grow, allowed me to help, allowed me to, to find energy in, um, helping people. Um, uh, in, <clears throat> I had a lot of opportunities to work a little bit undercover, the cover, white color, fraud, all kinds of different cases, but, um, working human trafficking cases and working human smuggling cases just took a little turn in my law enforcement career because, you know, I can tell you um, that if any of my peers, anybody in law enforcement that work with me hears this, Everything that I just said about my prior marriage, the toxic life that I had, the childhood, all that stuff, my peers at work did not know. So if they're hearing this, it's new to them. What they did know is that I could connect with those women that were broken in a thousand pieces and you know why
0: yeah
2: because you know my story yeah i could connect with children that were smuggled and were going to be sold and that allowed me to like sometimes we
1: don't know why things are happening to us But now that I'm a coach, now that I teach self awareness, you know, breaking those self limiting beliefs, all those good things that we can talk about, the reality is that I was able to look back at everything that has happened to me and realize that maybe what happened to me as a child, I needed to go through
2: in order to be in front of this little baby and for me to connect and save his life.
1: And if I had to go through all that to save this child's life, I'll go through it again. And if I had to go through all that physical, mental, emotional abuse
2: from my predator, my abuser, to help just one one woman see value in herself, I would do it again because he never broke me here in my head.
0: So let's talk about that transition. Uh, you're into coaching, so mm-hmm. obviously. Anybody listening can understand the transition to coaching and want you wanting to help other people. But talk about the semantics of of doing it, because it's not that easy. Even though you have an inspiring story, it's not easy just transitioning over. So what did you do to transition into the coaching world?
1: Well, I needed to learn what coaching is. I needed to know what a mentor is. I needed to know what a teacher is. In the Air Force from day one, surrounded by leadership, I was able in the Air Force to move through ranks, positions, titles, all the way to the top, all the way to the top. So through mentorship, through teaching, through learning, I was able to navigate that world. I was missing the coaching piece because sometimes we think that a mentor is a coach when i was looking at two years from retirement from the air force i knew that i knew that i didn't want to okay i'm done
2: there's more i mean i know my purpose paul there's more to me so then i looked
1: at John Maxwell. And I don't know if you're familiar with John Maxwell, but he has this amazing certification program in which he helps uh, individuals become better communicators, public speakers, coaches, and trainers. And I'm like, I'm in. And that, again, another shift, another pivot, opened the door for me in which I could put the pieces together and be able to truly, I mean, there's no finish line. There's no finish line to learning about ourselves, but I was able to put enough pieces together to truly know me, to understand my self-awareness enough to then um, fully understand that my purpose is people that I am for people, for people in law enforcement, for people in the military, for immigrants, for females, for children. And I I needed to um, study. I needed to be good at my craft. And when I coach, I'm not telling my story because the coaching is about you. Coaching is about how do you find your own awareness, your own purpose. But if you put me in front of an audience and, and I'm, I'm doing a keynote, then I'll share my story. But it allows me, it allows me that when people are talking, it allows me to map it out where I go, you know, I can say to myself, I've been there. Oh my gosh. I know exactly what that feels like. Right. Because Emotions are emotions, and I think it's universal that all of us, if I say, have you ever felt sad, that all of us would know what sadness feels like. The situation might be different, but the emotion, we can, we, we can empathize with that. And that allows me, I believe, to help people uh, because I've been there.
2: It's not like i can i can imagine how that feels no 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 i felt it i know
0: so what what's the future hold for erica in the coaching space
2: i will
1: continue to i mean uh my you know my third chapter right law enforcement uh, military third chapter is me being uh, a business owner me serving the community uh, me learning because again uh, because of law enforcement and because of the Air Force, even though my home, my home base has always been Long Beach, um, I need to connect with with this. I need to connect with my city. So, what's 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 in for Erica Kelly when it comes to coaching or doing public speaking or training? Is I I'm going to be very very intentional about making Long Beach the center point of that immigrant story, the center point of that law enforcement career, the center point of um, Long Beach being the, 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 this amazing city that houses, protects, takes care of Chief Erica Kelly.
0: And if people wanted to work with you, how would they do that?
1: I think the best way uh, is my website, EricaKellyEnterprises.com, and or LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, please, please. If anyone is hearing this and you want to, I would love to, I would love to connect with you. Um, let's do it through LinkedIn so we can start a, a relationship human to human.
0: Oh, you, you told a very, very powerful story that gave me a lot of different emotions. Yes. So let's end more on a lighter note since yes. we, we got all, all this out. You were in Long Beach PD, so you know the city very, very well. Tell us the best spots to get, a, get something to eat.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: I worked um, task forces with Long Beach PD, okay. uh, but I worked for... Um, customs and border protection.
2: Oh,
0: okay.
1: Yes. Uh, as a federal agent. And then we had this amazing task forces and we did some, we did some crazy things, <laughs> but, uh, Oh, I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie. And so I like everything. I like everything. Uh, maybe because I have traveled the world. I, I, food doesn't scare me people. I love food, but, uh, uh, one of my best, can I ma- mention a restaurant?
0: Please do, mention mention as many
1: as you want. Oh, okay, so my favorite uh, restaurant in Long Beach, and I think it's because we use it for special locations. Um, we miss so many holidays, we miss so many uh, birthdays as a family. That uh, 555, the
0: steakhouse. Oh, yes. Very, very good. Oh, my goodness.
1: So we use that as what are we celebrating? Oh, we're celebrating two birthdays, Mother's Day, whatever, whatever, right? But uh, that restaurant uh, is special from a personal, emotional point of view in which we know that if we know that if we
2: go there, it's because it's special.
0: I love five, five, five. And you're right. It's uh, for me too. It's only for special occasions because it's very, very good, but it's very, very expensive. So it's something that unfortunately, I would love to go once a week, but uh, you know, unfortunately my budget doesn't allow me to do it <laughs> once a week. So yes, I go to that restaurant for special occasions as well. The food is delicious. The steak is delicious, great environment. So great call with five, five, five. Yes. Erica, it has been a pleasure Hearing more, I didn't hear. I didn't know all about your story, mm-hmm. uh, and but you've told the story, and I was fighting back tears a few times with what you were telling me. You're such an inspiring person. I can understand why why people, women, men, anyone would want to work with you. So the sky is the limit for you. There is no limits for you, and obviously by the actions that you've done there. You know that there is no limits for you. So continue living the wonderful life that you're living. And thank you so much for coming on It's a Long Beach Thing.
1: Thank you, Paul. Uh, Thank you for having me here. I am staying here in Long Beach.
0: That's right. Well, that's another episode of It's a Long Beach Thing. Talk to you next time. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you for tuning into It's a Long Beach Thing. Please tune in next time for another great episode. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.